So last week we were in the midst of discussing crisis of belief, crisis of faith, that, that point in which we're fairly sure that we have heard from God, that we have had the Spirit enlighten us as the scriptures uh, we read earlier are both passages that, that talk about the Spirit moving, how we come to understand things, how we know what God is doing, how we, how we express what God is doing through us. And, and when the Spirit is operating in the church, there's not a whole lot that can hold the church back. What does hold the church back and what holds us back as individual believers at times is the decision not to not to step forward when we feel God leave. And that's the crisis of faith that we were talking about. So last week we ended our sermon before we were really finished with that topic. And where I was planning on going next is what, what defines that sort of active faith? That faith that is a day-to-day -day sort of thing that isn't episodic, it doesn't happen just on Sundays or at special retreats where at times we can look back and say, yeah, that's a time I really felt like the Spirit was moving through me, that I was close to God. How do we make our faith an active part of who we are? We talked about hearing from God, knowing, knowing what we're called to do, and then reaching that crisis of belief. And sometimes I think that language of crisis of belief makes it sound like way too big a deal, right? Like it has to be something of earth-shattering importance. A crisis of can, belief can be something as simple as somebody's being a jerk in front of you in the grocery line, and you can either mutter something under your breath, or that's mean-spirited, or you can say a prayer <laughs> for that individual, maybe for yourself, that you would keep your cool. Um, it, could be, it could be something that, that small. Because those are the ways that I think God's Spirit sort of speaks to us in those day-to-day. -day. It's not, not every decision we make is going to be something that alters the course of the rest of our lives. But like we said uh, in our study last week, we don't know when we're making those decisions. So if we treat every decision as one in which we should incorporate the Lord's wisdom, and we get into practice of being uh, people that are discerning and spirit-led, when we reach those little crises and those big crises, then we'll know that we have an active faith. And our faith does, um, it does depend on our obedience, not our obedience to rules, things we can check off and say, I'm a good Christian because I do X, Y, and Z, but our obedience to that leading of the Holy Spirit. And whether or not we are obedient does kind of hinge on us acting out our beliefs in a consistent way. So what proves that we have this kind of active faith? Well, I want to revisit a passage we've come to a couple different times. But John 14, 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. You will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. As you recall last week, we talked about what was it that Jesus was primarily doing? What was his mission while he was here 
among us? Was he was he interested in being the sideshow and feeding the 5,000 and doing miracles? Was that his primary mission? No. He says his primary mission was to seek and save the lost. And, and so when he says, you will do even greater things than these, that's what he was intending for us as his followers, that we would be engaged in that mission. So an act of faith means that that we become involved in the things that Jesus has been doing, that we would be involved in ministering to other people and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. But what if we're not good at sharing our faith? What if I'm terribly shy or socially awkward or anxious or just not good at, at formulating my thoughts into a coherent message? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 3, or 4, 4 through 5, excuse me, that passage that Bradley read earlier, he said, my message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now, what was he talking about in the Spirit's power? Was he talking about big flashy miracles and people getting healed? There's some indication in Scripture that those sort of things followed Paul's ministry, but, but not a whole lot. I mean, not to the extent that you would look at Paul's ministry through the book of Acts and say, yeah, I can see where Jesus was saying, you're going to do even greater things than these. And then Paul did even greater things than these. I mean, Jesus healed, you know, 10 lepers and Paul healed 20, you know, or something like that. That wasn't, that wasn't what Paul identified as the spirit working through him. Now, I'm guessing you've had those moments, like I have had, when somebody's saying something, doesn't even have to be another Christian, but what they're saying, or how, how they are just being with you in that moment, communicates to you love, or care, or encouragement, or sometimes it's a needed rebuke, or a redirection, but it's what you needed in that moment. Has anybody ever had that kind of experience? Okay. Did that person know that they were being that for you in that moment? Not always. Not always. Not always. So, so who's doing that? I believe it's the Holy Spirit. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. That that's, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes our, our willingness to be used by God and our willingness to keep putting ourselves out there and the Spirit is the one that brings about the results you see the Holy Spirit God himself is the one who empowers us to fulfill what he's called us to do Paul's ministry wasn't about what would motivate what would inspire or entertain, but only about what the Holy Spirit was leading him to say. He didn't take a poll when he was entering a town to find out what people would be interested in hearing about. 
and shape his sermons around felt needs. He was compelled to preach only about Christ, Christ's crucifixions, and the reasons why Christ was crucified. He spoke of sin and redemption by the blood of Christ. He preached about repentance and making it clear that you were Jesus' disciple by living like Jesus. I'm guessing those things were not very popular back then, just like they're not particularly popular today. But he found ways of doing that and connecting with people's experience. He wasn't, he didn't completely ignore a place that he was entering into. When he went to Athens, he knew he was going to be talking with philosophers and people that like to talk, so he tried to find a way to connect with them. In Corinth, he knew they had a big thing called the Corinthians Games that at one time were bigger than the Olympics, you know, the, the ancient Olympics, and so he tried to draw some illustrations there. So he was looking for ways to connect, but he wasn't, he wasn't there to teach them how to be better at the games, you know, better at running. He said, no, I'm here, I'm here to preach about Jesus. Now I'm a, I can take an example from your lives and apply it to the gospel, but I'm gonna preach the gospel. And then his actions backed up his words. But again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, faith in word and deed, words inspired by the Spirit, deeds made possible with the Spirit's empowerment. It works the same way for us. The Spirit will lead you to say or do what you should when you need to, but only if you're willing to say yes to the possibility. That's what I think one of the most powerful prayers that we can pray at the beginning of our day, or if we know we're going to go into a situation that maybe leaves us feeling a little unsettled or uncomfortable, or, you know, maybe we're going to visit someone who's sick or someone's in the hospital and we we know it could be a, a time that's sort of spiritually sensitive, emotionally sensitive, relationally sensitive, to pray, God, help me say and do and be what you would have me be in this situation. We just make ourselves available. So having that thought when we're coming into that time, I think just opens the door for the Spirit to take our, sometimes our meager, awkward efforts and, and do something profound. So we have to say yes to the possible, to be used by God. If you're, um, to use the metaphor of uh, the football season is starting up, I like football, I like the Seahawks. If you're on the bench and not in the game, it's not because God hasn't called your number, right? It's because you've stayed put, thinking perhaps maybe God was calling somebody else, right? Like we're all sitting on the bench and, and God says, you know, hey, Phyllis. And we're like, well, you must, you must have met Pastor Curtis or you must have met the other Phyllis or you must have met Kennedy, you know, somebody younger with more, you know, no, no, no. God was not mistaken when he thought that you could handle the assignment that he gave you. God wants you in the game. Or another way that you could put this concept is, you know what? You're going to fail at 100% of the tasks that God calls you to, 
that you say no to in response? I mean, if you're if you're afraid of failure, I'm afraid of failure. I'm kind of a, a perfectionist at heart. Like I want to I want to do everything awesome right off the bat. So if God asks me to do something that I'm not really comfortable doing because I'm not sure I'm going to be awesome at it, my tendency is to say no. Or to say, ah, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Because I'm afraid of failing, of letting God down, letting that individual down, right? But how silly is it that... I'm afraid to fail God, but by saying no, I'm 100% assured that I'm going to fail God because God's the one that said, Chris, I asked you to do it. I'm going to empower you to do it. And maybe my purpose in asking you to do this is precisely so that you would fail or feel like you failed and then later find out that your failure was exactly what that person needed, your failure, right? Because sometimes people just need someone to express that you care for them and they they know you're going to be awkward about it and they might even let you know that they don't appreciate it right some people are just in a place where they're so hurting and angry about what their circumstances that no matter what you say or do in that moment they're they can't receive encouragement they're just going to hurt you know because i've been there and somebody's tried to say something nice or encouraging to me and i've Kind of attacked them back but i appreciated that they made the effort but how do we know so so we kind of deal with that that question all right what if i'm awkward if i'm not good at this what if i'm not right just make yourself available keep at it let god let god be responsible for the results another question is how do we know where god wants us to how do we know where God wants us to be? I'm going to come back, in, one, back once again to John 5. It's a passage we've, we keep revisiting. So John 5, 17 through 20 should be kind of in our brains. If, even if we don't end up memorizing it, we kind of know what it's about. Where Jesus says, my father is at work to this very day, and I too am working. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. The Father shows us. Right? We get off the bench. Keep with that metaphor. We get off the bench, we look to the coach, and he points to us where he wants us to, to be on the field. It's not at the moment we first get off the bench that we know everything. But by getting off the bench, we show God the, the willingness to, to step out, to try it. And then he says, okay, you go over there, all right? They're going to run on the field. Okay, now what? <laughs> and maybe the only, the only direction we get is, has anybody here seen the movie Rudy? Yeah. Seen the football movie Rudy? The very end, at the very end, right? He finally gets called in, and he's put in the game. He's in there. He's finally playing a game for Notre Dame, and it's that exact scene, right? They say, "Get out there!" And he's looking at the coach like, "What am I supposed to do?" And he's like, "I don't know. Just stay in there." 
And so he does the only thing he knows that he knows to do, which is to rush the quarterback, and he ends up getting a sack, which is good if you don't know football. That's a good thing to do fast. Anyway. So it's that sort of thing for us. We might not know exactly what God has called us to in a certain situation, but he, we know he's asked us to show up. So we're there. When God speaks, he always reveals what he's going to do. But we might not always get the full picture in the very first step. And if it's unclear to us, we keep praying. We keep seeking and consulting with other believers in Christ until it becomes clear. And then this clarity, or even increasing clarity, maybe we still don't have the full picture, but we have a little bit better idea, right? So maybe we've been asked to volunteer to do something with a nonprofit in town. We prayed about it. We're like, God, if I'm not supposed to do this, tell me I'm not supposed to do it. But this feels like something that you know, that I've got some ability in and this would feel good. And so we, we, we do it. And then we say, okay, God, was that, you know, I don't, I'm not sure why I'm here, but I've showed up. And he gives us a little bit more clarity. Maybe we have an experience that kind of gives us the sense that, yep, I'm on the right track. And we take another step and another step. This way we can join with God in his work by his initiative so that he works through us. With faith, we can confidently obey God because we know that he's going to bring to pass what he purposes. It's God's work through us. It's God's church. It's not our church. It's God's ministry. It's not our ministry. It's God's fight, maybe, not ours if we feel if we feel called to some sort of advocacy. And when we're sure of that, we don't need to worry about the size of the task. In Mark 10, 27, Jesus indicated that what is impossible with man and our limited resources and abilities is possible with God. There are plenty of examples throughout scripture that display this truth. We covered Gideon last week, right? Talked about the the story of Gideon, Gideon and that, that example. We've revisited Moses' calling several times throughout the series. The question is, do we believe God and his word? The answer to that question is found in our obedience to Christ because what we do reveals what we believe. Some people say, you know what, God's... And maybe you've heard it preached. God's, God's not going to ask you to do something that you can't do. Or that God's not going to call what he also doesn't also equip. But you know what? That's not biblical. <laughs> it's not. I mean, if you were encouraged by that before, I'm glad that you were encouraged in that moment, but that's not really, that's not really a biblical truth. Um, the fact is God demonstrates his nature and his strength and his provisions and his kindness to us precisely when we are in over our depth. When we are, when we are willing to follow God faithfully into something that we think could go horribly wrong, could be a failure. 
when Moses was leading the people of Israel up to the Red Sea, it looked like a dead end. I mean, literally a dead end. Because they've got the Egyptians right behind them. And Moses and the Israelites did not in their own ability. They were not equipped in their own ability to do anything about that situation. God had to show up. So if our assignments that, that if we feel like we receive an assignment from God that is outside our capability, is God-sized, is beyond the confines of our own personal abilities and know-how, Yes, that's that could very definitely be God. If you've been saying no to God based on your ability, you've most probably been denying yourself the opportunity to experience God in the miraculous. And I don't mean miraculous like God's going to heal somebody through, but God is going to orchestrate circumstances that are going to do something that you would have. At the beginning of your journey, you would not have thought possible. Now, some of you are wondering, perhaps, if I've forgotten about the time of testimony that I wanted to have. I have not. <laughs> um, if you forgot, I told you last week that I wanted you to, I wanted to speak for a little bit, and then I wanted to open the floor up to you. Just to share what God has shown you through this study over the last two months. Uh, again, it doesn't it doesn't have to be profound. Or you might you might think I don't exactly have the words to. I'm not sure exactly how to say what I think God has been speaking to. That's okay. Just do your best. We're family together. I loved Brad's sentiment in the prayer time. But what a blessing it is we can come to be and worship together as family to encourage one another. That's what it's about. It's not about trying to show one another up with how great our testimony is. Just, this is what I feel like God's been saying to me. This is what I'm trying. These are my baby steps, okay? 